For those of you who don't know me, my name's David, and I'm the assistant youth pastor here at Renewal. James asked me to speak to you today because he was going to be gone, and clearly he got desperate. But I'm going to take his desperation, and I'm going to run with it. When James asked me to speak, I had just finished reading the story of Joseph. So it was, and due to the fact that this was just last week, still is, very fresh in my mind. So today, I want to talk to you about that story. A story of God's faithfulness and of how God uses bad situations for ultimate good. So we're going to just dive in. We first meet our hero as a young man of just 17 years old. He has a dream, but his dream is not very well received by his brothers because his dream is that he will eventually rule over them. I don't want to spoil anything here, but this is called foreshadowing. So because of his dream, his brothers get really unhappy, like really unhappy. I'm talking, you want one more episode of Pokemon, and mom says no levels of unhappiness here. They decide the most rational course of action is to kill their brother naturally. But one of his brothers is like, hey, bad idea. Let's just toss him in a pit or something. Then, as chance would have it, as he's in this pit, some slave traders just happen to roll by and the brothers are like, oh, sweet. Let's get rid of him and we'll make a few bucks in the process. So Joseph is taken to Egypt. He's purchased by Potiphar. His friends called him Pot for short, I'm sure, like background. You know, he was just kind of a guy, except he wasn't just a guy. He was the captain of the guard, which was a really prestigious position at the time, but his friends still called him Pot because they wanted to humble him. I digress. Here we are told in Genesis 39 verse 2, quote, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. Things were clearly looking up for Joe. He's thriving, kind of a rock star with the whole, you know, not murdered, sold into slavery thing. But God has been faithful to Joseph and he's starting to thrive. Moving on, Joseph is kind of a good looking guy and Pot's wife takes a liking to him. Joseph decides he doesn't want to be in this situation. And then Pot's wife lies about what happened. One thing leads to another, bam, Joseph's in prison. Not super awesome. Some would say it's a really sucky situation, but Genesis 39, verse 21 through 22, it says, quote, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. So Joseph is in prison, and he interprets two dreams. One from the baker and one from the cupbearer of Pharaoh. Basically, what, what goes down is the cupbearer is going to get his job back. The baker's going to get straight killed. Kind of a bummer for the baker. It is what it is. After Joseph made his interpretations, he told the cupbearer, Hey, when you get out and you get restored to your spot, remember me. And then, you know, maybe give Pharaoh a word or two about me so that I can get out of here. Long story short... Joseph's right. Cutbearer, total jerk, forgets about him. Fast forward two years. Joseph's still in prison. Pharaoh has a dream. He needs it interpreted. The cupbearer's like, oh, hey, uh, I may know a guy, and I maybe was supposed to tell you about him, and maybe I kind of suck because it was a really long time ago, but I'm sure he's still in prison. I don't see how he could possibly get out. <laughs> So even though he did nothing wrong, he's probably there and he can help you out. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and Joseph is brought in, 
And he nails this whole dream interpretation thing. He doesn't take credit. He says it was God, which is good. Good work, Joseph, not taking credit for somebody else's thing. But Pharaoh gives him, you know, Pharaoh gives him some, some action. He's like, hey, you know what? That was a really solid dream interpretation. You gave me a really good plan of action to follow that. So I'm actually going to make you second in command of all of Egypt. Clearly, God's spirit is in you. You're crazy wise, and you're going to be the guy. Side note, we are now told here that Joseph is 30 years old. He was 17 when he started. Now he's 30. All right? 13 years have passed from the time Joseph is fake murdered and sold into slavery. So not a short amount of time. So the years of abundance start, just like Joseph said they were. Then we move in to the whole Joseph plan. He gets a lot of grain. All kinds of stuff is stored up. Famine comes, again, just like Joseph said it would. And boom, Joseph's dad and his brothers in famine, they need to come and they need to get some stuff so they don't die. A lot of stuff goes down. Fast forwarding, Joseph ends up super happy to see him, brings his dad and his brothers back to Egypt, gives them the land of Goshen. They live happily ever after. So what in the world is this story about? Am I right? What's going on? Well, I've got a few things that I think are going on. First, I think this story is showing us God's character. God is faithful. We see in every circumstance that God is there blessing Joseph. When his brothers sell him, God guides him to Potiphar, elevates him to the head of Potiphar's house. And when Potiphar's wife is a lying turd, Joseph is tossed in prison, and God helps him rise up there too, straight to the top. Dude runs the prison. He gives him the opportunity to, expand, uh, to explain some dreams, and then boom goes the dynamite. Joseph's elevated to second of all of Egypt. So there are a ton of verses about God's faithfulness here, and the story is a great example of that faithfulness, a faithfulness that is promised to Joseph's grandfather, extending through the line and to him. Second, I think, like many before me have thunk, that the story is showing that God can work really sucky stuff into really good stuff. I'd like to quote Joseph here. He says to his brothers in chapter 50, verse 20, quote, You planned evil against me. God planned it for good, to bring about the present result. However, sometimes God needs to lay the foundations. In this instance, we see God is slowly giving Joseph more and more responsibility. First, he ends up as the head of a household. Then, he's the head of a prison. Then, he's the head of basically all of Egypt. If 17-year-old Jojo rolls into Egypt and finds himself in power, would he have been successful without the foundations that were provided? Or would he have really screwed stuff up? And everyone would have starved to death. Hard to say. Now, having the foundations laid is not always easy. It takes work. Joseph wasn't just lying around having everything handed to him. He was working to fulfill God's plan. He didn't whine. He didn't cry when some really terrible stuff happened. He sucked it up, and he kept on striving for better. The last thing I think this story does, and this one is the most important, I think it points to Jesus. Just like Jesus dies on a cross and is brought back to rule at the right hand of God, Joseph was tossed in a pit and dead as far as his father knew. He goes away and then is brought back to the right hand of Pharaoh. This story points to the ultimate bad situation in the whole Jesus taking on the sin of everyone and dying thing. That's a really bad situation. 
and then he comes back three days later. That's a really, really good result. So I don't know what foundations God is laying for us right now with COVID-19, and I don't know what sucky stuff may or may not be going on for you, but I do know that God is faithful in each situation. I'd like to tell you a personal story. When I had just gotten out of college, I was able to get a job at Winlock Miller Elementary School. I didn't actually apply for this job. <laughs> I, uh, I was offered a few other jobs. Things didn't feel like they were right, and I didn't take them. I applied at Toledo. I got an interview, crushed it, should have been hired, was told that they were going with somebody with, quote, more experience. But lucky for me, the superintendent of Toledo happened to know the superintendent of Winlock and happened to be my former high school computer teacher. So she put in a good word for me. I got a call from Winlock. I went in, interviewed. They told me that it would be a little bit before I found out. They had a several more interviews that day and more lined up the next day. I got a call about 30 minutes later. They had canceled all the other interviews to hire me because I was so fantastic and I was wearing a bow tie. So, end up going to Winlock Miller. Not super excited. It's a long drive, super small school, heavy migrant population, which, I mean, at the time, I was like, man, it's not going to be super cool. I don't know if I'm going to know if I'm going to be able to talk to people, parents and such. I found out that interpreters are fantastic humans and they should be paid much more than they are. But it was not what I would call an ideal situation. However, after I got there, I realized that even though I was being kind of a poor sport, God had clearly planned me to start at Winlock Miller. I was able to learn under a great supporting cast of TAs and my teaching partner, and I didn't have to teach every subject. Um, we split 50-50. I taught math, science, and social studies, and then she taught reading and writing. So it was a pretty sweet deal. I was able to get my feet wet, not be overwhelmed, and still learn everything I needed to learn. I also came away with a huge respect for foreigners, immigrants. Um, I saw some different stuff that was pretty tough to, to see, and it, it really changed my views on a lot of things. And I didn't think I was going to start crying. <laughs> I learned a lot of things about uh, immigrants and what they value and what they respect and what they do. And I had several... Uh, parent-teacher conferences where I'd start with, hey, your kid's uh, doing great, at, great in math. Uh, they have an A. Great. Um, but are they respectful? Are they kind? Do they listen well? Uh, and that was stuff that I really didn't think about as a young teacher. Um, I learned that sometimes, quote, doing it the right way gets you kicked out of the country for years. I had one family who uh, the dad decided, you know what, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to get my citizenship. And he was sent back to Mexico for a minimum of one year before he could even apply and start trying to get into the country. His kids stayed here because he thought that was what was best for them. But um, he had to go. And I, I changed. It changed who I was. I didn't plan on going into Winlock and coming out, a, I would say, a better person. But that's what ended up happening. So a sucky situation, through God's faithfulness, really grew me. So I just hope that as we move forward, that the sucky situations that come up with whatever's going on, that you could take them and that God could use them for, for ultimate good. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for using the situations that we don't see as valuable 
to ultimately glorify you. Um, thank you for the opportunity to meet together or from home to learn about you and to maybe have a different perspective. I just pray that as we move forward that your will be done in each of these situations and that we could we could grow. In your name, amen.